Hello, my name is Randy Earl, Dharma name Kosetz. I uh, have been a meditator for over 30 years in various forms. I have been a Zen student for many of those years. I uh, have formally been a Zen student, student since uh, 2003. I have received lay ordination in the Soto Zen tradition in the Silent Thunder Order under the Matsuoka Roshi lineage. Um, in the that was in the Zaika Tokudo ceremony. So I guess that gives me a little bit of authority to talk about Zen. Um, so I got this uh, request for um, an interview from a friend of mine in the Atlanta Soto Zen Center who maintains the website, so she received your request. And I'm happy to help. I hope this is okay for you, an audio transcript. It's, it's easier for me than typing it out, uh, especially since I'm on a time crunch. Actually, tomorrow I drive to Atlanta for a, a five-day meditation retreat, a sashin. Um, so you caught me just in time. Um, but that's another reason for me to hurry to do this. So, um, and also it gives it more of a flavor of an interview, I guess. So pardon the clicks while I, I go back and forth to, uh, to look at the questions, if you can hear that when I'm tapping the keyboard. So who did you interview? Uh, what is their religion and why did you select that faith? So I've introduced myself. Um, the religion is, the broadest category is Buddhism. Uh, I am in particular particularly in the Soto Zen tradition. Um, and I guess we'll get into that a little bit more later. Um, and why did you select that faith? And uh, I guess that, that is a question or a point I'd like to make. Uh, one of the difficult things about any interfaith dialogue is that the, the worldviews uh, can be so different sometimes and the definitions of various terms can be so different sometimes that actually and, and I found this when I was going through my spiritual search and I was asking my friends I would frame questions from my historical tradition that was meaningless to them in their tradition um, for example the word faith in the Judeo-Christian world is, is a faith in you know the divine being uh, I guess I have to be careful since I'm, I'm not exactly sure uh, but in the Zen world, faith has a different uh, connotation. It doesn't mean believing in something that, that uh, you cannot see, cannot touch, cannot necessarily be proven. I don't mean to be combative there. That's just uh, uh, my perspective. Um, what we have is faith that if we do the work, that the results will come. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Um, so the word faith really doesn't have a lot of meaning in, in Buddhism and Zen, we refer to it more as a practice than a faith. It's not something you believe, it's something you do. Um, how did I, the next question is, how did I become a part of this religion? Was I born into it or did I pick it? I was born in the Bible Belt in the Methodist Church. We were active in our Methodist Church, went to church every Sunday. I was in the youth group. I was in the scout troop that was hosted by the church. Um, so I was fully raised in the in the Christian tradition. Um, what was the age? I guess about 14 or so. I uh, it was time for um, oh what 
is it? Confirmation class. And uh, that was where we, I guess we were entering adulthood and we were to make a conscious decision. And uh, we were, you know, learning a lot more than, than the typical Sunday school. And we were going to stand up and, and make a commitment. And uh, I took it very seriously. And what I found was that even though I was trying to take it seriously, I was receiving no meaning from it. I found no particular re uh, resonance. And again, this is not to, to be confrontational or to take issue with any particular religion, but just to explain my why I embarked on a search for something else. Um, so I started looking around, and that was uh, in the mid-70s. And uh, you may be too young to know this, but in that age, uh, there was a new thing going around called Transcendental Meditation, TM. And uh, it was, you know, very well known then, and the, the Beatles tried it and, and all that. So I gave it a try, and that was my first introduction to uh, meditation. And it was a one of many basic meditation techniques that came from the Indian subcontinent. Um, and that was my first flavor of uh, meditation, the first of many that I tried. Um, over the years, I kept uh, looking for more and more exposure and how to learn meditation, which was rather difficult in, in the Bible Belt, uh, you know, three, three decades ago. Uh, there weren't so many opportunities. And then throughout my life, I kept moving around, which made it even more difficult to uh, just develop an ongoing relationship with a teacher somewhere. So eventually, in 2003, I moved to Atlanta and found the Atlanta Soto Zen Center and stayed there long enough to develop a relationship with a thoroughly qualified uh, teacher, uh, Tyun Michael Elliston, the abbot of the Atlanta Soto Zen Center, and um, developed a took the formal ceremony of initiation, Jukai, and undertook formal regular meditation practice and interview with the teacher and study. And as I mentioned earlier, later I, I took uh, the lay ordination vows. Um, and uh, that particular lineage is important in the Soto Zen world. So the in terms of the, the teacher who trained your teacher and so on down the line. And this is in the Matsuoka lineage. Matsuoka Roshi was one of the first original Japanese teachers to come to the to US not as well known as Suzuki Roshi and, and a couple of others, but still very important um, in, this, in the Soto Zen world. Um, so I guess that answers the question of how did I become a part of the religion? I, I looked for it. I, I, over the years I went to the, the um, Los Angeles Zen Center when I was traveling to California. When I lived in the Northeast I went to the uh, Zen Mountain Monastery in Mount Trimper, New York under uh, Dido Luri. Um, and uh, so, yes, that's how I got there. I was, I was actively searching for it. And that, that was what resonated with me. That's what I was looking for. Something that I thought really was teaching me more about the ultimate meaning of life and how to deal with others in the world. Um, to move on to the next question and not babble on and make this terribly long, 
the next question is what are their traditions or rituals and what is the significance of these um, it's uh, Buddhism is 2,500 years old the Soto school is about uh, of Zen is about 700 years old so as with anything that old you you accumulate some barnacles uh, some traditions and rituals and every once in a while historically there's been an attempt to kind of break off some of the barnacles and get back to the basics but we have some the most fundamental of which I would call meditation when you look at the word Zen it comes from the Chinese word Chan which comes from the I think it was Sanskrit word Jhana which means meditation uh, when we look at what the Buddha did to achieve his enlightenment he tried many different uh, practices and eventually it was meditation that he found to be the path to enlightenment so we take that as his mo most fundamental teaching and so our most important ritual if you want to call it that is sitting down on the cushion in a very well-defined way to be very stable and still and calm calming the body helps calm the mind um, and um, surrounding that are some other little rituals we we bow to the cushion before we sit out of respect for uh, the work we're going to do we turn around and we bow away from our cushion to everyone else in the zendo who is sitting in respect for them um, we there's just a lot of bowing and it's not uh, it's kind of a, a subjugation of the self of the ego recognition uh, that there are others that there are, are uh, there's a whole world out there that deserves our respect um, and then we have some other rituals just like any other uh, religion we uh, well we have scriptures we call them sutras so in Zen in Soto Zen we recite one in particular called the heart sutra the heart of wisdom and it's only a couple of pages long um, and it, it describes what we consider to be some of the really core principles of Soto Zen and Buddhism in general um, and again <laughs> any one of these questions could be ours in, in the explanation so I'll cut it short um, what does their religion believe about the following how would they characterize the divine um, wow again that's a question of you know that's that's a question that that has come out of the majority tradition that is asking it because divine is not a word that we use at all really um, and you know we we could translate it in some different ways it depends on how you define the word divine and I guess first I ought to say and you may well have already had this in your class that uh, Buddhism in general and Zen in particular are very wary of using words which are labels in direct uh, contrast to to literal interpretations that some some religions and groups take we say that words are very untrustworthy um, because using a, a finite limited abstract word to describe a huge vast reality is always going to fall short of the mark you may have heard the Zen story of uh, in Zen we say a word is like a finger pointing at the moon the moon is the reality 
the finger is just the symbol and that you should be very very careful not to confuse the finger for the moon so that's a rather long introduction before I discuss a particular word so this word is the divine if you define it in terms of meaning something uh, dealing with uh, a god a supernatural being um, a heavenly realm or something like that then no um, Zen doesn't really characterize the divine at all it's not that we deny it um, in an atheistic sense and it's not that we embrace it in a salvation type of sense um, the focus on on Zen is what we can do right here and right now the focus in Zen is not on belief um, it is on action so um, and, and when you go back to the Buddha's original teachings um, he avoided that question um, if somebody asked him about a, a god or, or a heavenly realm or anything like that he basically said uh, well I'm, I'm not going to talk about that because that's not what I know about I know about how to live in a way to minimize suffering for self and others in this life in this world um, so we don't really talk about the divine in the sense that that American culture Christian culture typically understands it if you talk about the divine being the ultimate the ineffable the inexpressible the beautiful then we talk about it quite a lot we call that uh, the ultimate reality or the Buddha nature and one of the things that that we would say pretty much immediately is that the divine is inseparable from the mundane um, on the one hand they are polar opposites in terms of the words and the labels but you cannot have one without the other if there was no mundane how would you define the divine and vice versa um, they are two ends of the same spectrum so what we talk about is how to live your life such that you can uh, experience the divine aspect of the mundane world of daily life um, and how you can experience the divine all the time um, so we characterize it by um, kind of <laughs> how to say it um, by decharacterizing everything else by removing the labels and the and the separateness of everything else you can start to see the ultimate divine nature of everything um, so I, I think that's about the best I can do there and I think I'm gonna uh, stop the recording here and break it up into two pieces so it won't be uh, too long <laughs>